0: Good evening. The Queen is late to rest. A hurricane causes widespread damage to Puerto Rico, a kink in the agreement to avert a railroad strike, and forever chemicals in North Alabama, another drinking water nightmare. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the news for Monday, September 19, 2022. Queen Elizabeth II was bid adieu by presidents and kings, princes, and prime ministers at a state funeral Monday at Westminster Abbey.
1: Let us commend to the mercy of God, our Maker and Redeemer, the soul of Elizabeth, our late Queen. The first
0: day funeral since Winston Churchill's was filled with spectacle, a bell tolled 96 times for each year of the Queen's life. 142 Royal Navy sailors used ropes to draw a gun carriage carrying her flag-draped coffin. The service ended with two minutes of silence observed across the United Kingdom. Afterwards, the new national anthem, God Save the King. King Charles III and Queen Consort Camilla followed behind the coffin. As the body lay in state over the weekend, tens of thousands of people waited for many hours to get a last glimpse of the monarch who ruled the United Kingdom, if in name only, for the past 70 years. The queen was buried next to her husband, Prince Philip, who died last year at the age of 100. And Hurricane Fiona unleashed more rain on Puerto Rico on Monday, a day after the storm knocked out power and water to most of the island and National Guard troops rescued hundreds of people who got stranded. As much as two and a half feet of rain fell in just a few hours on surfaces already waterlogged by days of heavy rain, rivers overflowed and a bridge was unmoored and washed away by the raging torrent. The acting director of the National Hurricane Center is Jamie Rome. He said the rains would last another three days and batter the
1: nearby Dominican Republic too. This is the island of Hispaniola and the center of circulation is here over the Dominican Republic. But what's noteworthy this morning is this long stream of showers and thunderstorms that continue to move up and over the uh, island of Puerto Rico and some of the radar estimates indicate that rainfall rates in these bands, especially these heavier bands right here, or two to three inches per hour. Now that's a lot of rain over a short period of time within areas that have already been saturated by the rains yesterday and last night. And given how much rain has fallen over Puerto Rico, these are estimates of what has occurred already. Indications of 20 inches of rain already and with heavy rainfalls, and I I just told you two to three inches per hour in some of these bands, um, it's possible that we could get storm total rainfalls of 30 inches. So again, that's, that's two and a half feet of water uh, falling over uh, a very relatively short period of time. So unfortunately, uh, the situation in Puerto Rico is, is not good and, and not looking to improve until later today when, when these bands finally uh, start to pull away. The blow from Fiona was made more
0: devastating because Puerto Rico is yet to recover from Hurricane Maria. In 2017, that storm killed 3,000 people and destroyed the power grid. The Hurricane Center says this time, the rains may do as much or more damage as the waters rise. Now, what this
1: means when that much rain falls, so what this map here is showing you is sort of the current state of, of rivers within the island of Puerto Rico. And anywhere you see red or purple, it means that the, the river has risen to a point that it is flooding. And if we zoom in on this one particular station, you can see how rapid. Uh, this, this is where the river stage was before, and this is where it is now. And you can see this just rapid acceleration of the river stage. This is what causes the, the really intense flash flooding. It, you saw a lot of it on uh, social media, the, the video footage of the flash flooding, how quickly it comes up. And this is why it is imperative that you stay off the roads during these heavy rainfall events.
0: As the storm heads west over the Atlantic, forecasts call for Fiona to grow into a major hurricane of category three or greater. Threatening Bermuda with wind and rain and a more silent threat for the east coast of the United States, rip currents.
1: And this is the current rip current risk. So you can see a moderate, which means life-threatening rip currents are possible. From basically southeast Florida all the way up to the outer banks. But this risk could magnify as we get later into the week and all these waves start hitting the coast. So remember with respect to rip currents, really avoid getting in the water unless you have to. You know check local conditions and make sure it's safe to get in the water. If you must swim, swim near a lifeguard or a lifeguard station. Always check with the lifeguard, make sure it's okay to be in the water, and just really be safe. We really think that this might be, uh, you know, sneak up on people going to the beach uh, later in the week, especially uh, towards the weekend as well. On
0: Monday evening, Fiona was centered 130 miles southeast of Grand Turk Island, heading northwest at 10 miles per hour, with sustained winds at 105 miles per hour. And there are over one million Puerto Ricans in New York State, mostly in the city. On Monday, Governor Kathy Hochul said the state would be there to help the island for the long haul.
2: So, once again, over the last 24 hours, the island of Puerto Rico has had to endure its destruction at the hands of Mother Nature. It's reminiscent of five years ago when we were all shocked by the scale of devastation on the island. Uh, and the images are still very vivid, and they're starting to emerge this time around from Puerto Rico, and it seems we've been there before, and it is not a good outcome. I know people want to hear about the well-being of their friends and family, and I want to assure them that, again, New York State will do everything in our power to help them. The National Weather Service predicts that there will be catastrophic flooding that will occur over the next three days, with potential for landslides and mudslides, particularly in the southern and eastern portions of Puerto Rico and once again the critical infrastructure has been damaged and washed away and those are roads, those are bridges, especially in the rural mountain areas. So we now have over a million people without power. I think 100,000 have been restored in San Juan. Spoke to uh, uh, the governor. The first thing he said he needed was interesting. He wanted to know if we could send Spanish-speaking police officers to help Responded the needs of citizens, you know, traffic and lifting up and helping uh, remove barriers on the streets, but they wanted people that could uh, were trained in law enforcement. I'm proud to announce after that call last night, we immediately deployed, started to activate police officers. We'll have over 100 troopers from the New York State Police Department on their way to Puerto Rico uh, over this next week. A greater New York Hospital Association are sending medical supplies, so we've got that commitment, and the building trades will be supporting our rebuilding efforts as well. So the Justin Driscoll, the head of the Power authority, New York State Power Authority, and they're prepared to assist in restoring the grid. But most importantly, here's the message. we will be there long for the long term recovery. We know from the Marie experience. This is not fixed in a day or week or a month. It takes a sustained, concerted approach, and we have experience uh, with our own hurricanes now. I hate to say that, but it uh, wasn't that long ago my first week on the job last year when we were hit not, not with one but two hurricanes. So we are more experienced in hurricanes than we ever thought we'd be. We weighed in on helping them secure millions and billions of dollars to help them assist in the critical energy infrastructure to help improve the reliability so they're not always so vulnerable every time a storm hits where we can establish microgrids and other ways to not have one concentrated energy source go down and then the island goes down.
0: New York State Governor Kathy Hochul. President Joe Biden declared a state of emergency as the eye of the storm approached the island's southwest corner. The response may be more coherent than that of former President Trump, who infamously tossed paper towels during a visit to Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria hit. And a national rail strike could still be on the table if rank-and-file workers reject the tentative agreement announced by the White House last week. President Biden claimed to win on Thursday after brokering a deal to stave off what would have been the first national freight railroad strike in 30 years. The tentative agreement reached early Thursday covers over 60,000 workers. At the center of the labor dispute is draconian attendance policies, which don't allow workers to take sick leave and force them to be on call 24-7. But some railroad workers are unhappy with the agreement because it's pretty vague on some important points, and some say purposely written in a confusing way. On Wednesday, an independent group of workers is holding a mass picketing around the country. An organizer with the Railroad Workers Union is Ron Cameco. He says the rank-and-file workers are independent, but have the support of the unions. He spoke with the news on Monday night.
3: We don't know. This involved three unions. The signalman's contract is a little simpler, and it's kind of a sidelight. But the operating crafts, BLET and Smart Transportation Division that represent the engineers and conductors, it's incredibly vague. It's very confusing. The devil's in the details and there's a lot of smoke and mirrors going on. And it sounds like those contracts are not going to be weighted through and available to the membership to actually see in print verbatim for another three to four weeks. This has added a lot of anger and skepticism, as you can imagine, because theoretically, if you reach a tentative agreement, you know what you've bargained, and it should be pretty plain. But rail contracts are weird, and they usually have this section in the back of the contract called question and answer. So what they're doing now is they're circulating the contract amongst all the general chairmen Which is like the secondary level of the union, you know? There's like the local, the district council and many unions. Under Railway Labor Act, it's called general the general committee. And then there's the national. So they're circulating it at that secondary level for general chairman to ask questions, like we don't understand this. So and then they actually encodify that in the contract. Question might be railroad workers, how many sick days do they get? Are they paid for these sick days? Will penalties, will points be held against them on attendance policies, blah, 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 blah. And then the carriers answer, and then they sign off on it. This may take more than three or four weeks. We don't know. It's all about Joe Biden. It's all about the Democratic Party. It's all about the union leadership. It's not about what the rank and file really want and need. Get that 51% vote by hook or by crook so we can please move on and put this behind us. And often it works. It's debatable whether or not in this current mood of a labor resurgence in this country, like we haven't seen in many, many years, and, and the con- deteriorating conditions of employment, whether railroad workers are going to go for this. We don't know. What happens next? Well, right now a group completely unaffiliated with us that doesn't even have a name, spontaneous organizing by rank and file workers who are discontent. It's gonna be a Uh, picket on Wednesday,
0: Uh
3: and they're organizing in terminals across the country. There's no union behind it, even RWU did not call for this, and it's part of what I would consider a generalized uprising of railroad workers around the country who are independently organizing independent of the union leadership, and ironically, even independent of groups like RWU, because workers are taking the bull by the horn. Have any of the unions uh, rejected it uh, outright, just said we don't go along with this? Oh, no. The union leadership has all agreed at this point to tentative agreements. All 12 unions have agreed in one form or another to a tentative agreement. Most unions have not completed the voting process. One union, the International Association of Machinists, IAM, voted it down 63% to 37%, nearly a two-to-one margin. Two other unions have apparently had the rank and file agree to the tentative agreement, but we have no numbers on that, and it's been very secretive and a bit cloak and daggery. So they're all in different states. The IAM has an extended cooling-off period to September 29th the IAM could potentially strike September 29th. If they do, all 11 other unions honor the picket line. So all of this nonsense that went down Friday could potentially be meaningless, because if one union strikes, every single union rank and file out there is going to totally support the picket line. The manifestation would be the same if one union goes on strike and we all honor the picket line, or if all 12 unions call for a strike. And so that is a big date to look for on the 29th. The electricians are doing a paper ballot and their vote is expected to be tallied and announced on the 29th. And these are the two big unions in the shops. These are guys that maintain the locomotives. We'll see what happens, if there'll be another extended cooling off period, if the machinists cannot reach agreement or if the electricians Vote the contract down. It's incredibly complex and ridiculous. We believe we should have one railroad workers union. What might come out of this whole thing is a, a somewhat rock the boat, like, hey, this is nonsense. Let's put our heads together and see how we can get all railroad workers together in one organization. It's an antiquated craft union system left over from the 1880s. You know, Ron Kamikoh is a organizer with the Railroad
0: Workers Union. He added that he and his fellow workers are skeptical of the agreement because they've been lied to so much by politicians, union leaders, and other powers that be. And the organization known as SAFE, Scientists, Activists, and Families for Cancer-Free Environments, is holding a protest at the headquarters of the Environmental Protection Agency on Tuesday, beginning at 9 a.m. In 2010, under then-President Barack Obama, the President's Cancer Panel declared the amount of cancer-causing chemicals in drinking water had been grossly underestimated. The rally organizers claim they've been failed by environmental and public health agencies, hence the protests at the EPA. A participant, Brenda Hampton, is the subject of a documentary film, The Angel of Alabama. She recounts for the news how the community discovered so-called forever chemicals in their drinking water. They traced the factories along the Tennessee River. Each
4: one of those uh, plants use different PCBs. This it all goes into our drinking water because our drinking water intake bath is only thirteen miles downstream from these plants. And these plants are releasing like a million pounds of the scrap into the Tennessee River daily. Uh they were given permits by our former governor, uh Governor Robert Bentley, and we've been trying to get our present governor, who uh was the lieutenant governor at the time, uh to rescind these permits and she's not rescinding these permits is still allowing them to dump these million pounds of crap into the Tennessee river. We do have a reverse osmosis system that I've been fighting for for the last seven years. Uh, we just got that and we've been online now for about four months.
0: What is reverse osmosis system?
4: The reverse osmosis system is our new water system. They would give us bottled water quality. It takes all the toxins out of the water. And mm-hmm. I did have our water, our public water tested behind the water company. And uh, we have no detect for PFAS or any of those chemicals.
0: I see. That's because of the new system. Uh, yeah. But the that doesn't solve the, the cause of a problem. The problem that causes all of this, which is the pollution of the river.
4: Exactly. And we still have the pollution of the river that we are demanding that they clean it up and do something about it. A lot of illnesses down there, a lot of rare cancers, a lot of renal failure. On two streets there in that community, I found 54 cases of cancer, uh, 14 cases of renal failure, and 11 cases of autism. And that was just on two streets.
0: How did you come to know there was uh, cancer-causing or uh, other kinds of uh, disease-causing chemicals in the water? What alerted you?
4: I I was living up north, and... Uh, My mother got sick. She died from renal failure. My grandmother died from renal failure. So when I came home, I got sick because I was flying home from up north, eating the food, drinking the water, showering in the water, not knowing that there was some toxic chemicals in there. So when I went back home, I went out for my physical, for my job, and that's when I found out I had been uh, affected by industrial toxins. I came to Alabama. I partnered with Warriors for Clean Water, and we had Auburn University to test our water. They showed that we produced industrial toxins in our water.
0: When did that happen? 2015. What was the initial response?
4: Everybody was shocked. There was a lot of denial. I got a lot of no's before I did get a yes. No one wants to believe that you can walk to your sink and turn on your faucet for a drink of water, and that water could cause you cancer. Anything else down the line.
0: Where does this go from here?
4: We have the reverse osmosis system, and what I'm asking is that we get rid of this PFOS and P4, all these chemicals all together. I will be speaking tomorrow at Freedom Plaza up here in Washington. We're holding this national protest tomorrow, and we have people from all over the world that is here. We're asking for no more PFOS. That's what I would like.
0: The PFAS chemicals.
4: Right, exactly. I don't want any more forever chemicals. We have made products in the past, consumers could use that wasn't cancer-causing or anything, and we need to go back to that. I know that we're living in a time where we want everything in an instant, but sometimes you have to slow down. And right now, these man-made chemicals are out of control. They're all over the world.
0: Brenda Hampton is the subject of a documentary film, The Angel of Alabama. And in international news, the fighting continues between Russia and Ukraine. Last week, the Donetsk People's Militia, a pro-Russia breakaway militia in eastern Ukraine, said Ukraine's army was shelling residential areas. Meanwhile, the Romanian Air Force intercepted the Ukrainian F-16 and forced it to land. It was over their territory. Defense Minister Vasily Denko said there will be no war on the land of Romania, calling on the warring parties to resume diplomatic negotiations. The United States has been supplying Ukraine with billions in high-tech weaponry. A U.S. armored battalion is stationed in Lithuania, where F-35 fighters landed this week. Meanwhile, Ukraine complained to the nuclear watchdog IAEA, claiming Russian artillery had fallen within 1,000 feet of a nuclear power plant. In related news, Russian President Vladimir Putin and Chinese President Xi Jinping met earlier this week in Uzbekistan to discuss their budding geopolitical alliance. It was the first in-person meeting between the leaders since Putin launched an invasion of Ukraine. Russia's TASS news agency reported Xi told Putin he was ready to work with Russia in a more concrete way to lead the world in sustainable development. As Sunday night during an interview with Scott Pelley on 60 Minutes, President Biden said there is no sign of China violating U.S. embargoes against Russia, but promised retaliation if China did help Russia.
5: I don't think it is a new, more complicated Cold War. Look, when, um, when President Xi invited Putin to Beijing during the Olympics, they had their meeting and the, you know, the new relationship. Not long after that, I called President Xi, not to threaten at all, just to say to him we've met many times. And I said that if you think that Americans and others will continue to invest in China based on your violating the sanctions that have been imposed on Russia, I think you're making a gigantic mistake, but that's for your decision to make. Thus far, there's no indication that they've put forward weapons or other things that Russia has wanted. So, uh, well, maybe I shouldn't say any more. Oh, I wish you would. No.
0: In an interview with the LRB, News Channel, Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, made an interesting comparison, Ukraine and Palestine.
2: Uh, if you cannot sleep because of Russia-Ukrainian conflict, uh, there are some advices uh, to, to, to calm you down. First, imagine that this is happening in Africa. Imagine this is happening in the Middle East. Imagine Ukraine is Palestine. Imagine Russia is the United States.
0: Meanwhile, Ukrainian officials say most of the 146 bodies exhumed so far in the northeastern Ukrainian city of Izium were civilians, and some of the bodies showed signs of torture last month. The United Nations reported it had confirmed the death of nearly 5,600 Ukrainian civilians, although the true number is expected to be much higher. And defeated Republican representative anti-Trumper Liz Cheney told a conservative think tank Monday that Republicans are protecting former President Trump. She specifically accused Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell of welcoming Trump back into the GOP fold after the January 6th invasion of the Capitol.
6: I do think that after the election, there were moments where people thought, well, it will definitely be over at this moment. You know, December 14th when the Electoral College meets, it will definitely be over. And then it kept not being over. Certainly then we all saw what happened on the 6th. There was a period of time after the 6th when the party could have rescued itself. And when the leaders of our party could have rescued the party. There was a moment right after the 6th when, if Kevin McCarthy had said, this is completely unacceptable, this will not happen, we are going to, clearly this was an impeachable offense, we need to look to the future, we're going to impeach, he should have been convicted. You know, if that had happened, we would be living in a very different country right now. Instead, Kevin McCarthy decided to go to Mar-a-Lago and welcome Donald Trump back into the party before January was even over, I believe. Then you just saw a whole series of events where instead of taking what should have been the obvious approach of saying, this is not part of American politics. Violence can't be part of our politics. Presidents leave office if they lose. This cannot happen. Our party went down the other path. In many ways, it's gotten worse. There certainly are are polls that you see that show that former president's support in the party is declining in some cases, but his open advocacy for what happened on January 6th, his suggestion that there might be violence if he's prosecuted, his suggestion that he would pardon all of the people that attacked the Capitol on the 6th, pretty much silence from the leadership of the party.
0: Defeated Republican representative and anti-Trumper Liz Cheney. And finally, Tuesday is the first day of the 77th Annual Meeting of the United Nations General Assembly. Representatives and leaders of each of the 193 UN member states will make a statement about the most important issues facing the planet. During preliminaries on Monday, poet Amanda Gorman had this to say.
2: How can I ask you to do good when we've barely withstood our greatest threats yet? The depths of death Despair and disparity, atrocities across cities, towns, and countries, lives lost, climactic costs. Exhausted, angered, we are endangered not because of our numbers, but because of our numbness. Yes.
0: Amanda Gorman was the first person to be named National Youth Poet Laureate. She read one of her poems during the inauguration of President Biden. And that's some of the news for Monday, September 19th, 2022. You can catch the news at pauldurienzo.com or through your favorite podcasting service. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.